Well, thanks so much for talking today about Now You See Me Too and of course. this other great footage you just showed me from your, your, your live concert, which we'll get to. But yeah. Now You See Me 1 was 2013. So there's been a three-year gap. Different director. Wow, has it? I thought I, I was. Thought I thought I just did it. Did you? No, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's about three years, right? It has been three years. Three it's years. just strange because I'm going back to the, I'm going to the premiere in New York in a couple of days, and I feel like I was just there. Yeah. Well, I was just there. I had the yeah, criminal yeah. premiere in New York, but but I feel like I was just there for Now You See Me One. It's crazy, but yeah. The whole world of the Now You See Me magic world. What does that do musically when you think of, the rules or not the rules that don't need to be followed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's really fun about um, one one thing, magic in the first place. I I was a I was like a magic kid. Okay. Like I had I, I I saw I don't know it was probably David Copperfield or someone like that early on, and I thought oh that's so cool. And and <laughs> then I you know I got the like magic kit, you know, uh, started learning tricks, and then I actually got really into it, reading books about magic. And this was at the formative years where I was learning about music and I loved scores. So you can imagine this all makes sense. I'm like, you know, really into Star Wars and mm-hmm. and, and I, I listen to John Williams all the time and James Horner and Hans and all these people. I just, it's, that's my, that was my jam. At the same time, mm-hmm. doing these magic tricks for anyone that would watch. So when the first Now You See Me came around, it was, it was like, whoa, okay, we're, this is combining two things I really love to do just kind of you know almost like childhood dreams yeah, yeah and then the second one that just took it to uh another level and the idea of the um the ruse and 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 the misdirect is mm-hmm. a huge part of this movie and so uh with with the music um you know it had to it, it's it's funny because sometimes it would go along with what you see on screen and sometimes you'll notice yeah. when you see the film is that it it definitely points you in the wrong direction it's like it has a whole lot of misdirected yeah. direction in the music that can even be tonally you yeah. know um and uh, so it was it was a blast to do yeah and there's also kind of the hint of kind of that vegas show right big big, big band s- big band big stage yeah yeah um there's it's you know it's kind of like um the vibe of that i was going for the sound of kind of the the like 1960s yeah, yeah. you know big band yeah. with orchestra too yeah. that was the thing you have the big band but you also have the strings yeah. um, and so kit upright bass brass woodwind strings the whole thing Some, sounds like Rhodes and Marimba Rhodes or, and yeah. Marimba yeah, yeah. Um, a vibraphone a lot of vibraphone with the um, you know uh, both with the motor on motor off <laughs> um there's definitely a nod to Henry Mancini, Lalo Schifrin. There's a mm-hmm. lot of that in there, but then at the same time, you have this intersection with with that type of flourishy, brassy, jazzy sound with something that would be closer to, I guess, what you call like magical scores. The the which is a completely different scale. Uh, the the you know Lydian scales and things like that. Kind of yeah. you know having a um, uh, head-on collision in the same cues with 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 jazz chords, yeah, and yeah, big yeah. band chords. So you know, if it's it's like you know, the big Schifrin jazzy or Mancini jazzy scores. You know, if they uh, had a baby with 
Harry Potter scores, something, you know, and along the lines of, you know, the fantastic the fantasy scores. They have a certain sound. So yeah, you yeah. have both elements in there, and I had to find a way to kind of merge them in, even more so in this movie than in the first. There's a, there's the whole back, I mean, the character in the movies itself, we're talking about like, a, there's a heist aspect to it. So yes. there's like rhythmically, you represent that in so many different ways, yeah, in yeah. drums. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of percussion drums, but I really wanted to record the congas and um, the bongos and things like that, hand drums, uh, triangles, all the things you think of with those kind of percussion sections. Um, and some a great bass lines, too. Uh, b- yeah, big, big upright bass lines and record yeah. all that stuff very... For that stuff, actually, I, I kind of dig the... I'm using the word dig. The early 70s <laughs> style recording. So, so really, the, bra- the big band... It's these different eras is weird. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 even down to the microphones on the drum kits and on the brass, and it's actually set up yeah. uh, for. I've got a, a 1960s kit recorded in a 1970s style. I like the 70s style, like early 70s, really kind of dead uh, room percussion that that has a certain analog, really saturated sound, and I love. <laughs> 1960s style recordings for brass and strings. Yeah. So I have these kind of different eras, and then of course for the fantasy music, I, I record in a very modern way. The the way that is more along the lines of John Williams, mm-hmm. where it's a lot cleaner. So you you have this really dense, dirty percussion section that sounds like it's from the 70s. Then the kind of the fantasy orchestra being very wispy and transparent. And 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 sonically very accurate uh, for for the, the the score score and then yeah I mean so it's all it has all these different elements and they are combined at the same time which was exciting to me to, to kind of bring it all together. I mean that doesn't happen a lot. A lot of times no. movies are time and place and that's it. You can't right. go outside. So what was it about what you wanted to bring when the director John Chu said this works? Like what well, did yeah. you push this in? Like was this your well y- John, yeah John is a song and dance man. He totally, knows yeah. he knows about music, musicals, scores, really dialed in, plays music himself, plays yeah. a lot of instruments actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it came time to, you know, buckle down and find a sound for this movie that also holds hands with the first movie, you mm-hmm. know, uh, kind of... Uh, we we wanted to make the aspect of the uh, cat and mouse aspect of it kind of heightened. The other thing that's much more heightened in this movie than than the first is that um, there is a storyline that's an emotional storyline with um, with one of the characters. It's the movie actually starts all the way back when he's a child, and you see the the roots of Mark Ruffalo's character. Mm-hmm. Um, how he loses his father and, and, and it's so there's these emotional themes that um, that have been added to the film and so there needed to be kind of a, a, a light touch with those and to make sure you bring out the emotion and, and stay but stay in the world where you know in the next scene you can have a lot of fun um, and certainly the aspects of there's a new character, and I won't say I can't. I don't want to give anything sure. away. But uh, it played by Daniel Radcliffe, and uh, it uh, required a very special 
tango-y kind of <laughs> thematic vibe that that it's has it's just so specifically him you know um how do you go there i mean do you have that background do you know those things i try yeah. uh i ba- basically i i wanted to have a very very distinct theme for him that's almost like a uh it's 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 done in a in a big band jazzy way, but the, the is it jingly or the, the, the tune is more like yeah. carnival Barker. Okay. You know, it's almost like a carnivaly type of thing. Uh, but then you have these opposite instruments playing his theme at different times. I have a solo violin that's very high; it's almost fiddle like, and then I have a a baritone saxophone playing it, the same melody, very low. It's like you have the the extremes of timbre and register. Um, you know and he's very much a dance he's a, he's a tango I mean a set against a tango straight up um, so uh, the the I mean could not be a, a more of a fun canvas to paint on than a movie like this where it it not only allows you to do things that are um, interesting combinations you wouldn't normally do but it actually kind of demands it yeah what, what is it like for you spotting a film like this knowing that you're gonna have to go. You can't go one direction. It's not just right. like this is the theme. This is the sound. I mean, the the, the movie, especially the new aspects of the movie, were pretty much impossible to tempt because yeah, yeah. you you are dealing with you're dealing with a a recipe of stylistic ingredients that just do not exist in scores. Yeah, like yeah. You these you you can't you can't take. Harry Potter and uh, and you know charade and put them in a blender while you're temping you know temping right. it, you you can't actually merge them you have to jump back and forth and temp from cue to cue from movie to movie and in this one you literally needed those things at the same time kind mm. of stylistically um, but uh, what was the point for you when you decided to go in this direction that I mean was it obvious from what the film was calling out or yeah it- I, I I think it just I don't know. I, yeah. it, it's something about it spoke to me. I talked to John about it. He seemed to be down with it. There, there was another aspect too. I mean, let's not forget that the, a lot of the movie takes place in Macau, so there had to be that aspect as well. There's mm-hmm. a Chinese instrument um, vibe, and uh, uh, that needed to be taken into account too, which was really fun to play. And I had. Did you play it? Yeah, I, I do. In, I, in fact, some of them are in there right yeah. now. You can see up on the wall, <laughs> and it's it is fun to take um, like Chinese stringed instruments and play jazz licks. You know, and, and uh, there's a particular piece in there that has like jazz licks being played. You know, very and it's funny. You just have you kind of have to tweak the tuning here and there, but it's kind of ready made. It's it's uh, mm. it's almost like you know when you hear something that's a you hear a tune on an instrument you wouldn't expect. It's uh, when you hear something like the theme from uh, you know Beverly Hills Cop played on a bagpipe. Yeah, right, it's right. like whoa, you know, there's something to that, and some somehow it was really fun to do these bluesy jazzy riffs on Chinese instruments you know and uh, it all it just kind of it, it plays to the fun of the movie but it, um, it, it transports you hopefully uh, and and gets you in a world so I think successful film scores are ones that where you hear the score you can't help but think of the movie mm-hmm. as opposed to you hear a film score and it's generic and you think oh this could go on any movie mm. I think the most successful ones are ones that are inextricably tied to it, whether you hear it in the movie or you hear it after the movie. And I, I don't know if, hopefully, I, that's what, that was the goal. I don't know yeah. if I did it, but I, that was definitely the goal. Yeah. When you think of the the main title sequence and just how the film comes in, opens yep. up, 
What was it? What is it about kind of like the the first act of the film when when you guys are trying to set up melodically and? Yeah, well, the first um, the very first notes of the movie harken back to tie into the uh, main motif of the original movie. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of like a setup of here we Returning go. Return to the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in a way, uh, it, it unfolds like the this the mystery of it in in the opening sequences uh, there's an emotional beat that's that's a flashback but then after that it goes into the what ends up being the title card and it's uh, setting up what's happened where it's going uh this is a trick mm -hmm. um all these things and 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 so those themes had to start building the architecture you know uh, around where all these different storylines are going to go throughout the film and and then eventually, I mean, it so ties into the, all the way to the very, very last frame of the movie. It's, it's hard to describe, but yeah. but but literally, the the you could almost see it as one piece. The very last, you know, the very first note and the very last note uh, have something in common. It's kind of fun. <laughs> nice. And uh, I guess like John's shooting, editing style can be very fast-paced, very rhythmic. Like yeah. you're saying, like a lot of his previous work is kind of dance music-oriented. Yeah. So. What did that do in terms of when you're trying to create music that matches tempos or right. the energy? Uh, th this was a big discussion with us. Yeah. Um, the the movie has, I think the interesting thing is that he he does edit rhythmically in the, and I think the natural thing to think would be to to look at the things that are the most noticeable, which is when it's energetic and there's more quick cuts and things. Mm -hmm. the, the, I think the reason why that those stand out so much is really effective and interesting is because he actually edits in a very open and um, non-cutty way in dialogue scenes. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of get in the... You almost, he almost does it more like documentary style in scenes where there's just dialogue or there's an emotional beat or... Yeah. And so when that other stuff starts kicking in and all of a sudden it's double crossings and thinks something's going on and maybe turns into an action sequence those that uh, that, that increases the dynamic range mm -hmm. which is something that I love doing with music um, uh, I, I'm uh, I mean especially when I'm conducting it's a it's a pain for the orchestra but I'm a huge tempo shift guy you know I love I love ramping tempos and changing meters and, and this one is just crazy meter I think uh the, the so so when you're in the emotional scenes you kind mm -hmm. of are legato and languid and you kind of have this this feel of like you know a nice you know warm blanket and then when you get to the action it can really in a movie like this you want to keep guessing so that's why um, the like I because I, I just conducted it in London um, yeah. uh, the, the the now you see me theme it, um, it goes from seven four for a bunch of seven four seven four six four 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 three four six four seven four 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 back to seven four nine four uh, six four seven four four four. I think it's you know, not the, consistent. The, it's yeah, it's it <laughs> keeps you guessing, and that's why it has that. Where did you learn that? Well, what 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 caught your attention to that style? Um, I, actually, for me, it was um, uh, a couple things. Um, Bernard Herrmann, mm -hmm. uh, the North by Northwest theme. I heard as a child, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I and I and I felt compelled to learn that on the um, uh, on the piano. And I remember thinking, like, what the heck? Um, 
and you know why does it sound so cool it's, it, it, and then that really had that but <laughs> which you can kind of trace the skeletal roots of the now you see me theme rhythmically to pieces like that um, I was also a drummer and I loved as often young musicians mm-hmm. do uh, the more difficult the better so I, I loved playing you know Rush and oh, okay. Mushuga and all that stuff and, and so anything that had bizarre time there's a few toms in there too yeah, yeah a few toms <laughs> and, and uh, anything that could you know that you could do that would that, the, that your your friend that's the drummer couldn't play that was like the, the thing you know like well, you, you, I, I can play this you know and so mm-hmm. I, I worked on multi-rhythms and then, then it turned into something a lot more musical later which is which is a lot of um, Latin rhythms I got really into and, and, mm-hmm. and those have those have mixed meters so so to me it's kind of natural to think in terms of mixed meters how do you describe when you're in maybe composer brain versus drummer brain right where is the crossover and how do you distinguish they're those? not distinguished at all that's okay. the thing yeah, yeah. Um, when I'm when I'm even when I'm writing music that has no drums yeah. um I, I think that there is the, the thing that makes a theme memorable can be one or or many of the the following, which one is something that's melodically memorable, uh, something that's texturally memorable, the, the sound, the tone, and the instruments are chosen, and then rhythmically memorable. I, I think if you you, you can take um, some of the great themes that are very melodic. Um, and if you just tap out the rhythm, you know what they are. Yeah. Uh, Raiders of Lost Ark, you would know just from tapping out the rhythm, for instance. Um, then some are just rhythmic, uh, based in the, in the part that's the most known, right? Terminator. Mm. You know things like that. But uh, uh, something like Morse code, you can see, you can read it out. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and then you know that kind of that kind of thing. I loved Terminator. I love Terminator still. <laughs> uh, and uh, it reminded me of. Uh, things like YYZ by mm. or YYZ depending on where you're from by Rush, <laughs> um, and so so I think if you have something that's rhythmically interesting, that's not just quarter notes or something in the melody, but it's something that you can kind of grab onto the hook in your mind is something that is uh, more effective. Yeah. What do you find then when you get to the scoring stage, and obviously you're on the podium and you have a drummer who's yeah. playing your parts? Are you listening to it differently than when you did when you wrote it? Well, in fact, the only time I have a drummer is when I have a concert. Okay. And I we all, because all, all your drums are what you record in the studio and you bring to the stage. Right. right? I play yeah. all my every yeah. drum part in every movie is, yeah. is me. Is you, um, yeah. yeah. And even, I'd say, even bass and other aspects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I play a lot. I'll always solo piano is always me. Yeah. So all the piano parts, solo guitar, guitar riffs, with the exception of, like, Slash played on. We, we duetted. A I mean, because on a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not um, on Tokyo Drift? But yeah, but, um, the yeah drum. The drum parts are always me. So so all the big band drums and the jazz drums and the grooves, um, all that stuff in this movie, for instance, is me playing. And then I play a lot of different kinds of basses in this movie. Mm. Now I I played um, the unwound and wound basses uh where there's a bass right behind me it's from mm-hmm. it's from the late 50s that i play that kind of has a certain sound different electric basses and then we also had an upright player in london that was awesome that, mm-hmm. that brought his own style to it as well but i also played that as well the acoustic bass in the movie so yeah. so it depends but but usually for the most part bass drums guitar piano vibraphone marimba all the hand percussion all those kind of things um programming synths 
guitars, electric guitars. Uh, the, I'll play all those yeah. myself, and and it's just because it's those things are so dependent on the what's well, your feel. Yeah, it's it just a yeah. teeny little like it's the sound of it, the, the dialing it in, the way you play it. To describe that or notate it would take longer than it takes to do the entire movie. <laughs> I don't know if you can notate someone's style. I mean, their feel, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's it's difficult. Like I just did this concert, and when you go in and you want the guitar guitarist to play a certain sound, it's like I know in my head. Well, I. Yeah. I, I, I step on this pedal and I have this um, spring reverb instead of a, a stereo reverb with a phaser pedal and this and that and a delay and it's a slap back when I only do it on this. And I, I like know exactly how to dial in the sound that I want. Yeah. But to describe it is really hard. It's very hard to describe instruments. And I'm really a stickler for synth sounds. I love analog synths. Mm-hmm. I really don't like super polished in the box computer synths that are mm-hmm. part of you know, programming software, sure. they sound too clean and they're too in tune. I like out of tune. I like it when it's natural. Um, what are some of the staples that you always go back to? In terms of synths? Yeah. Um, well, right next to you there. Yeah, I've got, got the Moog, uh, Prophet, Juno 106, always doing that. Um, love the CS80, love the ARP 2600. Uh, what was your first one? OB8. Uh, my first with? synth was a, in fact, it's that. It's the Juno 106 <laughs> is my first synth. Um, I mean, I had like a little Casio tone. Keyboard, yeah, I mean, but, everyone did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the demo <laughs> mode was like, <laughs> yeah. in itself, awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, that's like, check this out. Um, <laughs> but in terms of real synth was, was the Juno 106. And I learned to program on that. And, yeah. and that's still my favorite, I think. It's just, it's it's just awesome and it goes out of tune which is great because yeah. it's not perfect and it kind of has this it, it, i don't like what happens when you get samples of things is that they strip out the white noise and they mm. they they use auto tune and things like that to tune to quote fix the samples but then it does then it you lose that sound yeah, and yeah. makes it cool to me so all those little tiny things. So also the piano. I I have a few different pianos, and I the way I mic it, or the way I play it, or the how hard I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, go in for the forte or soft for the pianissimo. All of those things are aspects that are very specific to me. Drums are even more so. I I, I can't imagine. I change kits all the time. Do you have a drum tech for these sessions? It's, uh, no, it's me. I'm my drum tech. Oh god. Um, I had a drum tech. In the concert, but uh, right. yeah, where where we put the the mics, what kinds yeah. of mics, what style of mics, what year the preamps, all, the cymbals, whether they're, I mean, I have drums that are forty years old, I have drums that are a month old, you know, and they different kinds, different sets. Uh, What's I mean, it, it doesn't sound like I want to say like <laughs> like you're a gear nut. It's that you have a sound in your mind that you like right. and that you gravitate towards. Yeah, I guess you, you become a gear nut on accident. It yeah. is, but, you know, I, I didn't set out as a collector, but I mean, if you look at my studio, like I, I have a Kodo over there, which yeah. I love playing. I got, you know, sitars and I've got cellos and electric cellos and all these things. And these are, these are things I just accrued because I was like, oh, through the projects. I want this. Yeah, I yeah. want, you don't find timpani usually in a studio, but I wanted a timpani or, <laughs> you know, the, it, the the bazooki, uh, I liked the sound of the bazooki, or the charango, all these different kinds of little specific instruments. I would buy and then kind of learn how to play. You know, a lot of them because um, I wasn't, I I only had like formal training on certain instruments. Uh, most yeah. I didn't. You just kind of pick up and learn. Um, but being that it's that you're not in the box and it's kind of not unlimited in terms of presets or I don't know, just having right. too many options. It seems like you have enough options where. 
<laughs> Live options? <laughs> en- enough options. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there are always too many options. Yeah. I, I will... I, a day for me sometimes, I don't even realize it, is... I mean, there's no windows in here, first of all. There's no... I have no idea what time it is. So I, <laughs> I, I you know, I, I can sometimes bring in... If I get a, a... I buy a vintage synth off eBay or something, I bring it out. Oh, and then, and then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, I bring it in and it's nine in the morning. And then I re- realize it's four in the morning. And I'm still just going through sounds, going ooh neat, doot doot, you know, scrolling through and just seeing what the presets are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, yeah, the the rabbit hole of being a musician is just crazy. So when, how do you describe then when you need to be just focused and you have a schedule and you have a timeline and that's coming uh, down on you? Yeah, 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 I don't know. I just get it you done. just do it. Get yeah, done. yeah, you just you just have a goal, and, and usually by the end of the day, I say, okay, I want to have. I want to write this suite or I want to yeah. do this action. You know, especially sometimes that uh, I have these really, these films that tend to have really long stretches of music. I'll have a 17 minute stretch and I'll, you know, I'll say by Wednesday, I want to have it sketched out at least uh, or polished or done or yep. whatever. And then I kind of circle back and I always tinker and mess about with what I've already done. So yeah. how, how do you find, instead of being in the control room and you're on, you're in the room with the musicians. Yeah. How does, does that give you more freedom to? Depends. I mean, yeah. I I find for me, for a lot of people, it doesn't. Uh, I've had lots of discussions with this. I was actually <laughs> Michael J. Kino's house, and we were talking about this very mm-hmm. topic not too long ago. And and we were over a beer. We we uh, must. I think we talked about conducting, and, and he likes being the booth. You yeah. Know? And uh, right. and he totally has a great argument for it. I was like, I you, you almost sold me, <laughs> you know. But for me. Um, I, uh, for me, it works conducting. I, I feel that uh, the give and take of it, I like the idea of being able to not have to translate or tell someone. I'm, I, maybe I'm just a worse control freak. No, maybe but that's I, what it is. You know, here's the thing is like, you say control freak. I think you know what you like and right. you want to get straight to it and you don't want to go I, through kind of the... an intermediary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a, I have sometimes a trouble some people may be better at this than I am uh, t- describing to someone else what music is supposed to sound like. I yeah. find I'm, I'm, that is not my thing. I'll just, I can do the music, yeah. I, but describing it is, is, is difficult. So when I have to tell a conductor, which I used to do, yeah, sure. um, uh, I've long, t- what Chris Lennis was doing for me. Uh, mm. and this is back in 99, 2000, something like that. And, um, we were buds. He's awesome conductor. So I was. I would try to describe. Well, you know, because he doesn't. You know, conductor's not going to know the scene yeah. as well as yep. you, or yep, yep, what yep. the music is supposed to kind of be. So they'll go into like concert mode, you know, and it'll be just. It'll be cool. But, Play what's on the page, and yeah, yeah, but it may not. You, you know where to start. Bringing him down. Bringing him down. Bringing him down. Yep. And then you really. And in the page, there's only so many dynamic markings you can put on the page. There really is something about the in between piano and mezzo piano somehow by looking at the orchestra and they look back at you they know you well enough they kind of know yeah, yeah. You, you just you get into that vibe and also pushing also sometimes i push the orchestra right on top of the beat orchestras tend to be just a little bit back a little bit back yeah. backbeat and that's really cool a lot of the time um especially kind of but you're a drummer so, so, yeah <laughs> so so it depends on uh depends on the you know the vibe but um i really try to keep pushing on certain pieces, especially like action pieces, where I've already drummed on them, and there's a track of me drumming, and I yeah. know it is. That's your click. Yeah. So 
often I've found if someone else is doing it, and I've seen it too when I've seen concerts of my own music, that it's sometimes laid back a little bit more and isn't the right energy on a certain piece, but then sometimes it's unexpectedly awesome. So it's just mm. for me, it's a comfort factor being, it, it's the same reason I play the piano solos yeah. on my scores is because I feel it's like a direct connection and I can describe the scene to the orchestra firsthand. They're standing right, you're, they're not standing. Yeah, That'd be sure. strange, standing orchestra. <laughs> they're sitting right there right next to me and I can just say, hey, uh, this scene's really powerful. I feel sometimes it's nice to tell them the story and they yep. kind of know what they're playing. Well, also, y- you feel the room, so you know a take is better than another Sure. in a way that you're, you, you want to get in a booth. You can hear speakers. every little thing and, you, and yeah. sometimes they'll say, oh gosh, uh, someone kind of coughed under their breath or moved a, and there was a squeak in the chair and I asked the booth, they're like, no, it's cool. It did, did, somehow it didn't really come through the mic. It's like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. But sometimes like, oh yeah, we thought that was in the booth. We thought that someone just moved a coffee cup and that was the sound. It's like, no, we have to do that part again. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that wasn't expected was, or not expected, but something that a discussion you guys had with John was this fanfare idea. Yeah, right. So what was the idea behind the fanfare? How did it come about? Uh, You know, uh, it was was kind of an offhand comment that John made at one point when we were working on the movie that, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was something that kind of, you know, we were talking about movies that used to have... uh, prologues and you know like that Maurice Jarre would do for Lawrence Arabia or, or even I mean there's a whole like five minutes before the movie starts right yeah, yeah. 2001 Thailand, it, yeah. which was which was classical music but still they, when you it's your Vago and yeah and so even in a way Star Wars sort of um, mm-hmm. but it was with you know running um, descriptions of this right. preamble of the story yeah but nonetheless we thought that was a really cool idea, old school idea. He just said it offhand, and I thought, you know what? I, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna write something, and I'm not even gonna tell him that I'm writing it. So I, I wrote this fanfare, uh, for Now You See Me, which is the first piece on the soundtrack, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the fact was, it's like. I wanted to summarize the movie in a way, in a piece that was really, it wasn't done to visuals. It, it was something just almost like a gift, like a little thank you mm. to John for having me on the movie because such a cool guy and a great mm. director. So it was just written, it was just written down. It was written on paper. There was there was no mock-up of it. It was yeah. just this piece uh, that I didn't know what even, you know, how would it even translate till we got to London and it was at Abbey Road and I was conducting Philharmonia there and uh, it was just like hey John check out this piece and and he's like wow what is this you know and and, uh, and so then we it ended up going back and getting up being put in the movie this mm. this 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 version of the theme really had a had a life and it was a great example of sometimes you hear something outside of the film and I'm talking from the direct, director's perspective yeah, yeah. and comes up with ideas so it ended up being it's in the movie a few times uh mm-hmm. in different parts not the whole way through well it plays all the way through at one point but it, it, it kind of ended up being this uh the the reveal kind of reveal music yeah, yeah. like ooh, you yeah, know yeah. um here's here is the trick yeah uh and so in and then this ended up kind of it ended up being one of my favorite pieces in it for sure uh and and it was great because we got to do it live just a few weeks ago in London so uh, lastly I guess you know for you when you 
Yeah, at this point, the, it's right before the premiere, right before its audiences have seen it. Yeah. What are you most excited about in terms of, for you, like, what is your hope that people will say this is very, this is a new, yeah, different approach than what it's been in the past? I mean, I think uh, you, you want people to be able to basically enjoy the music on two levels. You want them to be able to enjoy the music in the film maybe subconsciously, mm-hmm. film score fans like us that yeah, like yeah. pay attention to stuff may <laughs> listen to it a little bit more than others, but then people will be able to enjoy it away from the film, you know, remind them of the film. And then and then kind of almost there's like another meta level that for, for me as a film score uh, aficionado myself is that they would go through those two things, then all of a sudden the music that I would love from other films, for mm. instance, it would remind me of the film, I'd relive the film, but then also it would go to this next gear and this next level which is I would associate it with things in my own life and it become integrated emotionally and in my life the, the certain themes and then uh, would remind me of certain people at a certain time and and it, and it became the kind of the soundtrack of my life now and and mm. it and this this score has a certain amount of themes that are very distinct that are done like you said it, it, it it's in different styles and everything but melodically it's con- it's a consistent kind of thing so mm-hmm. so I, hopefully it'll be interesting to have people that 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 love film music that are open to different styles within the same movie but that are melodically completely tied together yeah uh, if that happens then I'm happy and if not <laughs> I'm happy because I'm happy with it <laughs> <laughs> I can say you know a lot of times listening to film music when you're driving yes can be really dangerous it is <laughs> It can be. I mean, you can you can get swept away. Totally get swept away. It, it, it can be either an action thing where you're where you're like you, you start racing other people on the road, or you end up just going into. I mean, I'm I'm like the 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 most malleable uh, person when it comes to emotional music. I, I will you know I, I get chills. I, I will tear up like with the best of them. You know, yeah. hearing some piece. I'm driving along and you know if you know I. I it's over if I'm trying to drive somewhere and you know the the thistle piece for Braveheart comes on I'm you know I'll drive <laughs> off the road I'll be just you know I'll be so overcome I just I I just that's me I've always felt music that way it's always been a big part so driving and and, and but I love listening to music in the car and it's something I do I just think that if you looked at my my RPMs it's probably tied to whatever piece I'm listening to <laughs> awesome well Brian thank you so much and congratulations man it's a lot of fun thank you right on 